So my kids are somewhat picky eaters. They haven't always been picky eaters, and we're actually really lucky that up until each of them turned about two, they would eat just about everything that we would put in front of them. Um, that's not the case anymore. But our youngest is 15 months old, and he's just beginning to turn the corner and throw pieces of dinner he doesn't care for on the ground or at us. But I find really interesting what happens when we serve something that the kids absolutely love. Especially for our older two, their, um, their foodie personalities kind of come out in different ways, depending on the kid and the situation, and also, you know, it's probably due to their different age levels too. But when Leo eats pizza, for example, he devours it like someone who hasn't eaten anything in days. If I come home just a few minutes late for dinner and walk into dinner already being served, I can tell it's pizza just by looking over at Leo, who's chewing with his mouth wide open as, as, as fast and loudly as he can. Sarah and I never know how many slices he's eaten until we actually count the amount of pieces of crust piled up on his plate, which seem to pile up like to levels where we feel like it's too expensive to order pizza because of our six-year-old. <laughs> Ellery, our middle child, on the other hand, she's two and a half, she really likes to savor her food. I think you can, I, there are many ways to describe this, but I'll just say savor. And it seems like the more that she likes something, the more it ends up all over her face, her hands, her hair, everywhere her clothes. Last week, we were on vacation in Michigan, and she came into where I was sitting at my parents' house and asked me if she could have some blueberries, which made me laugh because she not only already had blueberries smeared all over her face and her hair, but she actually still had blueberries in her hand that she had forgotten about. So it's just sort of a demonstration of how I sometimes watch her eating, and it's like equal parts adorable and disturbing. She like bites it, looks at it, licks it, bites it again, brushes her hair away with it, <laughs> eats, wipes her face, like it's just, a, and repeats the whole process. In our house, she is the reason why spaghetti night is also bath night, is <laughs> one way of putting this. So for some of you, it sounds that you find these eating quirks of my kids cute or funny. Um, and some of you might be a little triggered <laughs> by me describing this, the anxiety is building. Um, but my reason for sharing these anecdotes is because as a parent of some fairly picky eaters, I experience something like joy when I see my kids eating food that they like. Even if the quirkiness or the messiness of their consumption styles is a bit hard to witness. <laughs> as much as I cringe seeing a two-year-old wiping spaghetti in her hair, I have to wonder what sorts of expressions were on the faces in the crowd when Jesus urged them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. We have the advantage, we do, 
sorry. <laughs> we have the advantage of a few thousand years of theology about communion and what it means to partake in the Lord's Supper. So these, these words that Jesus is sharing feel a little bit more familiar. In other words, we're able to hear Jesus' commands as a metaphor, right, for, for remembering him and communing with God through, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's a, it, it, it becomes to us a reminder that God has overcome sin and death through Christ, and so we're less grossed out by the whole analogy of eating Jesus and drinking his blood. But even from our vantage point, and with the advantage that we have. Jesus' words are a little jarring, if I think we can admit this. Here's a line-by-line -line paraphrase, just to go back. And it's, it's a paraphrase, but it's pretty much accurate to the, the text. This is what Jesus says. I am, the, I am the living bread. Whoever eats me will live forever. The bread I give to you is my flesh. Seriously, folks, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Only those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. And I will raise them through the end of days. Because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood remain in me and I with them. That's gross. I mean, it's gross. And friends, this is not a lost-in-translation moment in our scriptures. The Greek phrasing is actually way more gross and disturbing than the English translation, and I'll tell you why. Now, bear in mind, Jesus did not speak Greek. The Greek scriptures are some of the oldest texts that we have that, that account for what Jesus said and did. But the specifics of this Greek text make me believe that the authors were really onto something and captured something about this teaching. Because the, the first word that Jesus uses for the, for the word eat is the more common thing. It's, it's called fagain. Fagain. Can you say that? Fagain? Yeah. Fagain is by far the more commonly used word for eating. By far. It's, it's what almost every time in Scripture and in, in antiquity, when somebody sits down for a meal or a snack, a person sits down for a meal or a snack, the, the word, the, the form of the word is fagain. Fagain is used at the beginning of this passage when Jesus says, Whoever eats of this bread lives forever. Fagain. But then something strange happens. Jesus starts using a different word for the rest of the passage, a second word. And that word is trogain. Can you say that? Trogain? Okay. Trogain is a way, way less common word to use when you're describing humans eating. And it means something more like loud gnawing or swallowing or chewing. And it, it's more often used to describe the way that animals eat, sloppily and unmannered. It's a really visceral word that sort of like grates at you has kind of vulgar connotations, especially in the way that Jesus is using it when he says, those who eat trogain, my flesh, and drink my blood have eternal life. It's very provocative and almost crass or crude. Is Jesus trying to offend his audience? Is that what's happening here? Because whether he's trying to or not, this command does offend, and it does shrink 
the size of his following. The very next verse after the one that we read today says, When many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And then just a few verses later, we read, Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. To be fair, <laughs> to be fair, who among us would not second-guess our allegiance or our commitment to following someone around that was teaching and starting to teach in a way that seemed to advocate for cannibalism? I mean, really. If I were a disciple of Jesus, I would actually be trying to sort of pull him aside and urge him to hedge away from using such grotesque language. Could you just at least tell them it's a metaphor? These are really bad optics, Jesus. People are going to think that we're some sort of blood-drinking cult. You're losing followers. So friends, I think that we here today were allowed and free to align with the disciples when they say, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? I hope it goes without saying, if you take anything away from this, Jesus is not advocating for cannibalism in this passage. So let's just sort of cut that off, if you're thinking that way. This is a metaphor. When he says, truly, my flesh is real food, I think he's doing what so many people do these days with the word literally. I, I hear some chuckling. Because I hear people being like, I'm literally starving. <laughs> and I say, no, you're probably not literally starving. But I get your point. You're feeling really hungry. You mean figuratively. I think this is like that. Jesus has recently, Jesus is using the word truly here to, um, to drive something home. Because Jesus has recently, we talked about what comes next, what happened right before this passage, Jesus just fed, miraculously, thousands of people on a hillside that were hungry. And I think Jesus is following up that teaching in trying to address something deeper but consistent with physical hunger. And I, I don't mean that Jesus is trying to go deeper than physical hunger in a way that is not physical. It's not like metaphysical or spiritual hunger, right? I think the point that Jesus is making with this metaphor about eating him and drinking him and teaching in this sensational, offensive, jarring way is to say that Jesus wants to impact your physical body and your daily life and your instincts and your sleeping patterns in the same exact way that food does. I want to say that one more time. I think Jesus, in equating himself with food, is urging us to believe that he wants to impact your physical body in the same way that food does. He wants us, you and I, and his disciples to feed on him with the same regularity and the same desire and fervor as we would our favorite meals. Yes, this teaching is difficult, but I think maybe with some careful treatment, 
treatment, we can, in fact, accept this. What would it mean for us to really ruminate on the provocative words that Jesus taught throughout his life? What would it mean? Ruminate is a word that really comes from chewing, chewing over and over, chewing. How might it change our body's responses to things that sap us of life and energy if we were eating Jesus? What would it mean if we were to munch throughout the day on statements like, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What if we chewed on that over and over again? What if moments, in moments of despair, we took bites of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are the poor and the hopeless, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How might it impact our patterns of behavior that stem from negative self-talk or cycles of shame when we fill our diet with regular meals and snacks that remind us of the Christ story, of God loving the world in such a way to draw near to us and to share in our humanity and to open up a way for us to be free of the chains that bind us and to walk with us into whatever comes next? See, this story, it just keeps reminding us, if we eat it enough, that we are family, that we are not just any family. We are God's own beloved children who parents us like a mother. Folks, like any nutrient-dense food, you have to chew on these things to be able to digest them. It's really hard to swallow whole some of these claims or to just taste it and throw it away. And it's really hard to see evidence of God working in the world when we starve ourselves, our bodies, of the hope and the love and the joy that we do crave. And instead, we just absorb the toxins that are so readily available to us in the ideologies and the images and the, the screens and the lies and the dehumanizing expectations all around us. Our bloodstreams, our physical bodies, our bloodstreams are coursing with adrenaline and cortisol. And we're running our bodies into the ground for lack of real nutrition. And Christ is offering that to us in this difficult and provocative teaching. Chew on me. Jesus said, literally snack on me, devour me. Don't, don't think about it. If you, if you have a chance, set some time aside and breathe deeply and enjoy me, savor me, taste the goodness and take your time. But listen, if you're short on time, bring me along as a mid-afternoon snack or something to munch on in the car or to pull out of the fridge like leftovers when your options are sparse. Frederick Buchner, who's one of my favorite thinkers, once said this in a sermon. To eat is to acknowledge our dependence, both on food and on each other. It reminds us of other kinds of emptiness that not even the blue plate special can touch. Friends, 
Jesus wants to satisfy our cravings and to make our bodies more strong and resilient. Not just once a few thousand years ago. Not just once a month at the communion table. Not just once a week at Sunday morning worship. Not just once a day. Jesus wants us to feed on him with the regularity and the commitment that we feed our own stomachs. God is reminding us to accept our need to be fed in all the ways that we, as, as bodies, require sustenance. And it is our responsibility to feed ourselves and to feed one another and to feed each other well. Our bodies need physical nourishment in the form of food, but our bodies also need nourishment in the form of emotional support and physical touch, in the form of words of encouragement and prayer, in walks and in hikes and in watch parties, in sing-alongs and in social services. And at RCHP, we really try to facilitate life-giving, nutrient-rich meals with Jesus as the featured ingredient. But how could we, friends, how could we challenge ourselves to care even more for our bodies and our communities and our environment by ingesting Christ more regularly? So believe the good news, friends. God in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is our three-course meal. And Jesus offers to be the savory snack that sustains our bodies in these challenging times. The table is always set. The pantry is always stocked, and dinner is served. Don't be afraid to make a mess and eat at whatever pace you like. Eat alone, but please make sure you also eat with friends. Let's give it a shot. Being well-fed through Jesus may just be what we all need for this next stage and what we need to live a strong, healthy, meaningful life each and every day. Amen. Thanks be to God.